Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Time for the latest edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach, although perhaps Mark Gellard, we should call it Where in the World is Mark Gellard? Because every time I talk to you, you're somewhere different. Where are you this week? Hey, Candy. Hey, everyone listening. Um, I mean, uh, we're in Italy right now. We we uh, got here two days ago uh, after finishing in Madrid. Um, we actually, a friend of mine has a club in Catolica, which is very near Remini about an hour, 15 minutes south of Bologna. So we came over here for the week to, to practice a bit before going over to Rome. We've got the expanded formats now, haven't we, in the 1000s? Not all of them, but most of them. And although it makes it nice for the players that do well, because they get gaps in between matches, and we are also seeing more players play doubles because they've got more time, I was wondering about the players that do lose early. What do they do in between? There are some challenges. We know on the men's side, Andy Murray is playing Gail Monfils in a French challenger, which is just astonishing with Tommy Paul, the top seed. And there are tournaments for women. But what about those who don't want to play tournaments? Where do they go and how do they arrange what you've just done? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one at the moment. And it's definitely a big divide amongst the players on whether or not this is... Um, sustainable i suppose because uh, you know tra- traditionally uh the, the most of the tournaments throughout the year other than the grand slams are one week events so qualifying would start on a saturday and sunday and then main draw starts monday tuesday finals the following sunday you know there's the exceptions though there's rome madrid um which is obviously last week and this coming week and then indian wells miami um and then usually the ones towards the end of the week, end of the year like guadalajara we had last year before that, in China, we had Beijing, I think, uh, or Wuhan maybe was a slightly longer event. But it's tricky because also, for example, this week after we left Madrid, the, the club where the tournament's going to be played in Rome doesn't allow us on site until this Friday. So you you, you can't even go anywhere. So every, everyone's kind of scrambling a bit. I talk to a lot of people and you everyone's hustling for somewhere to go practice. Um, Madrid... Um, obviously, it's a nice facility, but the conditions are very different there. There's altitude, and and then obviously you find a lot of the players have left, so there's not so many sparring partners. So everyone's yeah is is scrapping a little bit to try and find what to do. If and and, and for example, Magda actually, I mean, technically lost third round there. She had to buy in the first round, won her second round, lost in the third round. So she actually did relatively okay making the third round before needing to find somewhere. But for the players that lost in qualies or in the first round or the second round, they're really kind of, you know, it's tough for them right now. What's your overall thought then of this expanded format with the thousands? For me, from a coaching standpoint, I don't love this format. But the primary reason from what I understand is that two-week events, obviously you give the top players more days off to rest. So you're going to get the better players doing well, which is what the tournaments want. Then the biggest thing is they're able to attract far more money in sponsors Mm -hmm. and TV rights. So they can sell this package of, say, Madrid for two weeks of TV rights. And so, you know, what happens on the the week-long events, you're, you're getting five, say, really good matches in a day, but only a couple of them can be televised. They can't all be. Whereas this way, they're getting one or two really nice matches a day 
on the men and the women's, and then they can put those on TV. So that brings in a lot more TV money, which brings in a lot more sponsors. And it was really the men, it was actually the ATP that started this, and the women have followed suit. So the ATP wanted to do it for that reason, and then the women have kind of also piggybacked that a little bit as well. And I have to say, the matches are, uh, and have been very good. I'm currently watching Jesse Pagula versus Veronica Kudamatova. I've actually been commentating on the men's side where we've had 11 matches which have gone to third set tie breaks. It's just been astonishing. And um, we have seen less people, I think, retire from matches or break down or look injured because they've had an, an extra day or so to recover. So I suppose that is the positive. But there is a negative side, like there is for everything. So it's just finding the right balance, isn't it? Exactly. I, th- I think that there's some, there's definitely, like you said, some positives to it, having the days off. I think that some logistical things need to be improved. For example, not being allowed to get on site in Rome until Friday mm. of, of this week is a problem. So players, you, you know, if they're going to do these two-week events, then they need to have somewhere players can go to before the, to- the next tournament starts. Otherwise, they're left hanging a bit. And I know that, um, you know, the good thing in Rome this year is I know that they're actually providing accommodation for free for the player and an extra room for the coach, which is the first time that this will be on the WTA side, which is really nice. Yeah, there's, like you said, there's, there's good sides and bad sides of it. I think ultimately the tour wants, feels that they can make more money this way and, and they have a better package to sell because if players aren't so tired, they're not withdrawing, they're getting mm. the best players making it through to the end of the event, which is really what they want. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a... a a bit controversial at the moment. I think that if they want to keep doing it, they need to have other options. For example, uh, actually last year, Magda played uh, two. We skipped Rome and Madrid. We, we Sorry, we skipped Rome. And we played the two 125s that were in France. One was in, jeez, oh, I've forgotten where it was now. Saint something. Saint Malo. Saint Malo, there you go. And then the following week in Paris at the Lagardère, mm. beautiful club in Paris. But you look at the the, the draw in, in these tournaments now. You've got Sloane Stevens as number one playing, a, you know, a 125. Because like, and like you said, with Tommy Paul playing right now and Murray and um, Gail Monfields, they're just trying to get matches because it's too long a break, they feel, to go and play. And, and, and for people that don't know, the 125 WTA events are sort of the smallest event, not necessarily considered part of the main tour. But you can't enter those tournaments if your ranking is inside the top 50. Oh, so Magda couldn't actually enter those tournaments. So you can't put those on your calendar. So the only way you can play those is if you're given a wild card. And I believe they get two, possibly three wild cards. So you're bringing us on to an interesting new subject because uh, we know the tournament director of Ostrava has revealed that in the future, I think from 2024, there are going to be 10 1,000 levels on the WTA Tour and the top 30 players will not be allowed to play 250s. And there are, in my mind, some alarm bells when I hear this. Just for an example, you think about the Monastir tournament, which is a 250, which uh, Ange Jabeur is the headliner. If she's not allowed to play it, how popular is that tournament going to be? Um, so I just wanted to know your thoughts, because you're, you're obviously on the inside of this. I, I have a little extra information in that. I think that I've read some of the headlines and, and what the news is saying about this. It's not all strictly true. What they're trying to do is restructure it a little bit to create sort of create rivalries, really, and, and to help, you know, do that. What they've decided is to is almost break up the tour into sort of different categories. 
Um, no, she could absolutely play in Monastir. They will always allow local players or country players to play the event. And there are always a certain number of wild cards that will be given to top. I think there's actually, if I could be wrong, two top 10 wild cards. Oh, that makes will sense. Be given. So plus you've got the local players. So let's say, for example, there's one in Poland. It's a 250 and Magda's ranked 19 right now. She could play it. She okay. could. So there's going to be ways around it. There's, there's. I, I have read the sort of the initial guidelines for it. So it's not quite clear cut. But I think what they're trying to do as well is say, listen, the top players like Ons, if we're doing the right job or a good job with the rest of the year, she doesn't need to play those tournaments. The only reason she plays that tournament is because she wants to, because it's a home event and a tournament want to have her there. So I think what they're actually trying to do is increase the number of 500 level events and the 1000 level events because the money's better. I think it's also a little bit scary because it's people are scared of change, right? It's something new. The WTA got a new sponsor called CCV, CVV. CBC, um, I think it is, isn't it? CBC. There we go. I, I almost got it right. And they, <laughs> they're really putting in a lot of money. They've obviously got Hologic as well now. So they're trying to find a way to increase the prize money. And I think we've discussed it before. But again, I think the ultimate thing is that what most people want is they want to see the top players. Mm. They, that's that's the reality of it. They, these players that are 70, 80 in the world are unbelievable players. But that's not what mm. they're coming for. And, they, you know, you go down, down the street and ask people, name me the top 10 women right now. Top, even the top 10 men. People can't do it. They, they, they need more rivalries. And that's what they're trying to do. So, I, I you know, I, I think they're doing a good. I commend that they're trying to find new ways. Yeah, you've got to applaud uh, the fact that they're trying because we'll see if it works. And hopefully it will. I, I think the idea of it is very good. And it sounds like there's a lot more to it than we were told at first, which I think caused a few panics. So that sounds good. Just going back to Madrid, you said Magda obviously got to the third round. She lost to uh, the youngster Mira Andreva, who turned 16 during the tournament and beat Leila Annie Fernandez. Beatrice Haradmeyer and Magda. It was astonishing. How was the overall tournament for you? If you asked me before the tournament, I would have probably accepted this. Uh, Magda's never won a match in Madrid in the main draw, actually. And when I saw the draw came out, I, I said, please, just don't give me Vondrasova first round as a qualifier. <laughs> and of course, it came out and she's she is so good. I mean, the girls' ball striking, defense, understanding of the game. She's so you don't make a final of a French Open for nothing. Mm. And she's been, if you actually look at her results the last, say, four or five months, she's really picked it up and she's coming back to the player she was before all the injuries. So that was a really good win. And then obviously disappointing to lose, but also, did Magda play her best? No, no, we didn't. We didn't do the, you know, we didn't execute well. I thought some of our game planning was off, which is on, which is on, you know, me. Uh, but I think this girl is, is the real deal. This girl is good. You know, she was coming up with things that you don't expect someone of that age to come up with. And also, she's not serving like she was 15. She was serving like she was a woman. I mean, she was came out and was serving sort of 180, which is not, not that shouldn't be happening for a girl. And she's slim. She's tiny. You know, she's got nothing to her. And she's she's just really smart. I think that I think before the tournament, she started, she was 15 and 0 yes. for the year. That's right, because she won two back-to-back -back ITFs, didn't she? And it happened after she lost the Australian Open girls final and was absolutely devastated. She's just been on a tear since. I think she got to three in the world was her junior high. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. And she's done that all before she was, well, she was 15. 
So she's, you know, theoretically got three more years of juniors, which I don't think she'll play. But then she beats Beatrice and and Layla and um, you know, and then obviously Magda. I think Sabalenka was probably just going to be a little bit too big of a ball. And obviously Sabalenka, probably you could argue Sabalenka is the best player in the world right now, or at least in those top two or three with Rybakina and Swiatek. So, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was it was a, obviously disappointing to lose. Would have liked to have maybe pushed her a bit more, but. Um, you know, you, sometimes you also have to say, well, she was too good today. Absolutely. I think that's the best way. Sometimes you can't control it, can you, if your opponent plays too well. And what was your thoughts on the overall tournament, the court conditions, the weather? It was a hot one, wasn't it? And the overall magic box. Yeah, it got really hot a couple of the days, the day we play. I think it was up about 30. So yeah. it was very warm. The courts there, uh, probably the best courts on the tour for clay. They're the best. I mean, they're just maintained perfect. It's like walking on velvet when you walk on the, uh, when you step on them. And, 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 you know, it's a little tricky there because it's a clay court. So you expect it to be slow, but then there's altitude. So, you know, the balls are really flying. You see players string their rackets a lot tighter. It's, it's, it's definitely uh, a little bit more unique, which is also why we didn't want to stick around there after mm. we'd lost because training there is different, mm. so different to the other, you know, Rome is different. Rome, Strasbourg and Paris are so different to that. So, yeah, it's 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 uh, obviously it's a really big tour. Definitely the best food on tour. The restaurant is fantastic. Uh, the the transport is great. Um, so it's 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 nice from that point of view for sure. Okay, so you feel well looked after. So now you're heading to Rome. That's next. Just describe to everyone the court conditions and how they're going to be different, please. So Rome typically is is a little bit heavier. Everything's a little bit slower and heavier. And obviously, there's no altitude there, although uh, we are using the same balls. So that, that's a bonus. Mm. You know, but Rome is, I mean, it's such a great city. But um, the other thing that is different in these weeks is that the men and women are combined. So traditionally, when we go into these events, it's a women-only event. So you're pretty clear and, you know, you're pretty sure about how much practice you can get and how many courts there's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. But when is the men there? It's just chaos. I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> So many people. And what happened this year with Madrid was that they had an off-site facility because they just this year changed the draw size from a 64 to a 96. So there's extra players in main draw. There was extra players in qualities, but there's no extra courts. Right. So now they're having to send people off-site and the same right. thing will be happening in Rome. Um, they always have off-site there, but it's definitely hard to get, you know, to get practice on-site during these events especially for that first four or five days so that that, that makes it more challenging but it is the same for, for, for everyone really uh, Magda seeded and we still didn't you know weren't able to get on site all the time so it's it, it's pretty fair for everyone I suppose it's wow. just um yeah just a little bit different to the regular week and she played doubles with Sophia Kennan last week is she going to play doubles in Rome that is a great question, and that is an answer I don't have. I, you would think I would know that, but I don't. Um, I think that we probably will. Again, I've brought this up before, but obviously when you play these big events, there's, there's a lot of prize money there and the opportunity to, to to do well. I mean, Magda has been doing pretty well in the doubles again. You know, Miami, I think she made semifinals. And, 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 and I have to say last week, Magda wasn't great in the doubles. We weren't great, but she, she um, you know, Sonia played terrific tennis i mean she's such a good player kenan and i know magda would like to have might like to have won that one they definitely had chances but um yeah she really enjoys playing the doubles and i think she prefers that rather than being on the practice court with me for an hour and a half so. <laughs> well who wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> exactly 
So the plan is to play Rome, uh, then Strasbourg, and then, of course, Roland Garros. Would you deviate on that? I suppose if Magda does well in Rome, then maybe Strasbourg's away. But that's the idea at the moment. Yeah, that would be best case scenario is that she does well and we don't play Strasbourg. She's she's always loved playing Strasbourg. She just likes the city and the, and the place is um, it's a great place to, to watch tennis. And it's it's reasonably close to Paris. So we actually end up just taking the train as soon as we're done. You can take the train up two hours and be in Paris. But in an ideal world, she wins a good few matches in Rome and then we don't have to you know stress out and just we can get to Paris in our own time and get practicing there. We'll keep fingers crossed and hope she has a good draw because that's so much of what this is all about. Um, let's just go off topic slightly because, of course, we know now that the Hologic WTA Tour is heading back to China. And I know you have some contacts in China, so you probably have a little bit more of an inside view than the rest of us. What are your thoughts on this? For me, I, you know, Magda and I were living there for five years. We, we were training there a lot. I think, uh, I think it's good they're back in China. I'm happy. I know it's controversial, but... I think um, they've done all they can with, with the Pong Shui situation. Uh, obviously, now, outside of tennis, COVID, I've talked to a lot of people there, and the WTA has also confirmed all of this. That they, they're, they're really in no restrictions now. They're as free as, you know, the, the UK or anywhere in Europe. So from that side, everything seems ready to go. But I think also there's a huge amount of I think I think China puts in over $8 million in prize money yes. for those few events. With one of them potentially, either Wuhan or Beijing, could be a, t- a two-week event like Rome or Madrid is. They're still working on that. But, you know, those tournaments are always really well run. I mean, you have the best hotels and great. I mean, it's a really a lot of the players always enjoy it there. And I think that, that also if you don't have China, last year, Magda and I went to India for a week and Korea for a week. But it makes it really hard to justify going over to Asia for just one, maybe two tournaments. So by, you need that China swing where you have Wuhan, Beijing. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones they have there. They, they used to have Guangzhou, yeah. um, Shenzhen. So, yeah, there's um, there's a few going to be over there. I know that they, they're working on getting everything in place for that. And I think it's great that the tournaments gonna are going to go back there. Good. Yeah, I think it, it does sound like it was pretty much inevitable. And uh, as you say, money talks at the end of the day, doesn't it? And the players all want to get paid. And there's a lot of other people depending on the Chinese money. So just the way it is. Exactly. And I think you have to see um, now people have to sort of decide how, how moral they are. I mean, I, I, I salute Novak because, you know, I don't agree with his stance on the vaccine, but he has stuck by his principles and it's cost him a lot. I mean, he's missed so many tournaments. So I, I really give him a lot of credit for that because mm-hmm. he's, he's actually not just lip service. He's really followed through and said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to, change my opinion and I'll miss the tournaments. And I think uh, a lot of players have been talking about wanting more prize money or complaining about the lack of events and opportunities. Okay, well, we're putting tournaments back now in China. So, you know, people have to, it's not, it's never perfect. Uh, Yeah, it's never going to be. And you have to admire Novak, absolutely, regardless of what you think about his stance for the courage of his convictions, because he, I was thinking he could have easily faked uh, a COVID vaccination, given how much money he has and probably the contacts, but he chose not to do it. And um, he has missed out on winning several majors, hasn't he? Several majors. Plus, I think he's, is it two or three years since he's been able to play Miami and Indian Wells? He's, he's, he's missed out. And then I, I believe actually today they announced that he's now been cleared for the US Open. 
because their ban, I think, is lifted on the 11th of May, something like that. So, so he's set for that now, which is good. But yeah, for me, China definitely should go ahead. I think Steve Simon and the WTA did a good job getting back in there and um, giving the players the opportunity to play. And also, you know, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. If you feel uncomfortable in China, if you're not, you know, then, then there is the option to play other events. There will be other opportunities. All right, Mark. Well, I know you've uh, got to get back on court there. So we wish you all the best in Rome. And uh, hopefully we'll chat during or after the tournament. And all the best. I hope the matches go really well. Perfect. Thanks, Candy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. This is the end of uh, this edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. But we'll be back soon with the one and only Mark Gellard. Mm-hmm.